it's not a race, right? These machines are so fast. You don't have to rush through anything. You take your time and set everything up right and you think it through. The machine actually tends to run for longer periods of time, you know? <laughs> this is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's show is the second episode in our season about Swiss machining. Our guest is Chris Armstrong, co-owner and applications engineer at TX Swiss, a Swiss job shop in Conroe, Texas, specializing in oil and gas and defense. In addition to producing parts, Chris is passionate about servicing Swiss machines and travels around the country supporting citizen lathes in particular. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am honored to have Chris Armstrong, co-owner and applications engineer at TX Swiss in Conroe, Texas. It's part of an umbrella company called Mad Science. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, Noah. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. We know Chris and his partner, Ryan, from the machinery business. We've done some stuff with them as far as citizens. I want to get Chris's story and talk Swiss. So just to get started, give me the lowdown of TX Swiss, what you guys do. What's the story? The shop really started out as a, we had a local need. I say we in the Texas oil and gas and energy division had a, had a local need for a Swiss job shop. All these clients that I had on other machine topics, and they would always say, why don't you start your own thing? You know, I was just left and right. It's kind of just, poof. you know, that's the short, the short ended. Uh, what do you guys produce? What do you focus on? Well, we really do a lot of defense uh, components. There's a, there's a lot of sour gas components, but it's, it's really, you know, being the go-to job shop for people. And, you know, I think one of the myths is that a Swiss machine is not good for job shop work, but we try to fight those physics, if you will. Okay. And in addition to producing parts for oil and gas and defense, a great deal of your time is spent working on machines, working on Swiss machines. Correct. So you, you get to have two hats, I guess you could say. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I really enjoy tinkering, right? And, you know, unfortunately, like, like most handymen, if you will, don't get to tinker on my own things. 
too much uh, my own personal things, but machines, you know, you get to share. And so I never want to lose touch of God-given gifts, if you will, my abilities to do things. So I believe in constantly using all of, you know, my fingers, my eyes, my brain every day. Mm-hmm. And, and so doing service has made that easy. Um, helping out people when, you know, they're in a time of need is always something that is uh, rewarding in its own right, you know, to see something that was broken now come back to life. Yeah. A project that was just an idea, you know, come to fruition. Let's, let's take it back now. I want to get a brief story of how you got into the business because I think it's a pretty cool story. How did it all start though? How did you, oh, you are. getting, yeah, take it back. Getting take into the- Swiss all the way. Okay. I was a welder. Um, I was trying to get to come up in welding and manufacturing and fabrication, right? Um, if we go back to when I was a youngster. And um, I had actually gotten laid off from a job that I really enjoyed. You were 21 years old? I was, yeah, I was 20, 21 years old about this time. And uh, I'd gotten laid off from a job in Houston at an oil derrick restoration and fabrication shop. So I went home and after much beer and Metallica. I lived in a condo on Lake Conroe. And um, after a long day, I'd, I've, I decided to remodel my co- my bathroom. And uh, there, there were some things I wanted to do in there. And I was going to go ahead and finish it up. I knew I had the time. I had a little extra money, nothing else to do. This is all in the same the same night. You're drunk. You're listening to Metallica. This is the next and you... day, right? This is okay. the first day off, you know? And I'm like... <sighs> <laughs> it was definitely a weekday because uh, about midnight, the neighbors came over and um, they were not happy at all. Uh, I, I think uh, they they were, you know, shaken. They were so mad. And uh, they told me to shut it off, you know, and I kind of told them where to go. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they ended up coming back a few minutes later. And it was just the, the my neighbor the lady, not the gentleman. And uh, she begged me to turn the music down. I said, all right, fine. And I owned the condo, right? So I couldn't be evicted or anything like that. It wasn't like having an apartment. So there was that that was known, right? They couldn't really do anything about it. They just had to come to terms. (laughs) Uh And I needed to be adult about it. And so I was like, okay. And, you know, it was probably my most life-changing moment right there. I, I started to listen. And uh, she said, call this number. Or she said, why are you uh, up so late? Why are you doing this? This is not like you. You know, you're normally asleep. I said, well, I got laid off. And I told her the whole scenario. And she then leaves again and then comes back with the phone number and tells me to call this phone number. She said, this is my son. And he has a shop nearby and they need help. So then the next morning I woke up. And uh, they called me in, you know, and it was only three and a half miles from my condo. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea about the place. It was just a little, at the time, it was very small business. It was just a little bitty 2,500 square foot warehouse suite. And I went in and there was some stuff I was familiar with. There was a welding machine when I went in on the interview and there was some equipment that they were bringing in. I had no idea what it was. I could tell it looked like a lathe. And I was familiar with the lathe, you know, from in the, being in the fab shop world. And uh, I realized it was a tiny, very cool lathe, 
<laughs> and uh, they explained to me that um, that lathe ended up being a, a 1993 Citizen L316 that they were bringing all that stuff in to start making their own parts and they had they had some quality issues and maybe some time issues and you know they were going to take a stab at it so it was kind of take the opportunity because i saw it you know and it was up for grabs so did somebody teach you to use it or were you mostly self-taught so self-taught i mean it was grab the book like i i found out quickly that everything was in that book hmm. and that citizen actually had a pretty good shorthand uh compliments brian such pretty good shorthand note section on the CNC code glossary. So I just opened it and started reading it and started asking questions. Um, if we want to back up to the job interview position, it was just like, here, you know, the job is basically shop helper. You know, you help out wherever. Mm-hmm. But that position was up for grabs, right? And um, because it was totally new, you know, nobody in the whole company really knew anything other than the people that they bought their parts from used that type of equipment. You know, and I guess, that's why it was what it was at the time. I guess it was about a 15 or so year old machine. So, you know, I constantly, anytime I got a chance to get my hands on that thing, I was just all about it. I took that code glossary that Brian Such had created and I took it home and just studied it, memorized it. And then I went into the book study it, memorize it. And a gentleman from Citizen came down to help install the machine and get it going Mm -hmm. because it was totally new technology to this company. And that was about it. You know, he made one of the example pieces that they needed that was uh, an issue getting supplied and he left. Interesting. And so there, there it was, you know, there it sat. And it was a, it was a medical company. Correct. Okay. And, you know, it was, uh, sky's the limit. That's all I saw it as, as much as I could absorb. So you knew it was your calling. You knew Citizen Swiss Machining was, was it. For some reason, for whatever reason, the first time I touched it, yep, that was it. Very interesting. And I used to want to work on cars when I was a kid. And how, how is working on a Citizen, how does that differ from working on cars? Is, is Citizen... Do you like working on a citizen more than working on a car? Oh, yes. Elbow room. And there's not as many emotions as to working on someone's car. You know, they, there's always someone's car is very personal to them, right? Yeah. And the machine kind of detached that, but still gave the same type of working on a complete entity system. You know, everything must function as advertised type of deal. Do you feel like some people are are sentimental about their about their citizen machines? Are emotionally I, I, connected? Yeah, I think so, and, and rightfully so. They're very universal tools, mm-hmm. kind of Swiss Army knife. So I've seen it in much different environments. You know, I've seen them in all kinds of different to serve all kinds of different purposes, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's a commodity machine. Sometimes it's the only machine in the building. Right. So then later, the shop grew huge, and then eventually you went to work for Citizen? Yeah, for Texas and the southern region, I did traveling and application, sales, support, 
Um, I did it all because I do not like to stand still. And, you know, we had a small division because there's not a huge concentration here. We had several other machines that we needed to support as well. But Citizen and Miano were my, you know, go-to things to work on. And uh, I traveled for about four years doing that and just decided that I needed to do it on my own. You know, it was time. Okay. Yeah, I went through some initial struggles as anyone normally would. You decided you wanted to start making parts or you decided you wanted to be do so yeah, I wanted to start to start my own shop. Okay. By the way, Chris is on the road right now on the way to a customer's place to, to service their machine. And he was nice enough to pull over to a rest stop right now. And that's where he's talking on his cell phone. So you worked for Citizen for a while. Then you started your own shop. Eventually, you ended up reuniting with a friend from high school to start a shop. Sure. Uh, Ryan Madsen, a good, good friend of mine. We just talked about it a little bit. and He uh, had come down to Texas to visit me. And I had already tried to start a shop on my own. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was really interested and wanted to help, you know, help it grow. And so we did a couple of deals together and basically some capital growth real quick. And, you know, he helped me restructure a few things. And uh, he had a whole different skill set. He came from a very people-concentrated environment. So... Now you are making parts, but you personally are, are spending a lot of your time going on the road, servicing machines uh, at the si same time. You'd say it's almost like you have two businesses in one. Correct. Yeah, I I really don't ever want to lose my user lose it. I, I don't know why I, I'm, I'm very I think about everything pretty in retrospect, kind of. I know hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't want to ever think that I could have done something and I didn't. There's so many people that just run through a life-changing event and they wasted, you know. I just have a fear of uh, losing my gift. No, clearly, clearly. Okay, so you go all over the place, go all over the country, a lot in Texas. You're also dealing with your own shop. I want to go over uh, some of the things you see. Um, because there's a lot of listeners here that are running Swiss machines or maybe they, they'd like to run Swiss machines. So what's the, some of the main problems you see when you go into a shop? You see a machine down, somebody calls you, you drive a thousand miles to get there. What's the number one issue? <sighs> Maintenance-wise, um keeping the machines clean i mean these things it's that or it's setup related you know somebody missed something and didn't take their time and so just keeping the machine clean just like making sure there isn't so a lot far. of chips and crap and yeah it goes so far if you're gonna open the door you know blow it down blow it off clean it off you know it's just i can't stress that enough because there's always shavings going where uh, you can't see. I don't know if you've ever seen 
the game, the casino game where you put the coin in and it drops down and then it, it slowly, you know, it might push a coin off eventually. You might win something. Uh, maybe, yeah. The chain reaction coin game. And uh, so I, I don't know the name of the game. I, I hate to bring it up to not know the name of the game, but some of my buddies really enjoy the game. I couldn't stand it because <laughs> most of the time nothing happens. And you have to, when the coin lays flat, it eventually knocks another coin off, which knocks another coin off, which knocks another winning coin down, hopefully. That's the, that's the goal. But with the machine, it's constantly doing that with shavings. And I've just seen so many things that could have been avoided if they would have just done it once a month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm assuming the people in your own shop that your own shop is, is clean. I'm constantly on about cleaning the machines. Mm. Um, That's constantly a topic. Okay. And then setup, you said, is a huge problem. What are you normally seeing as the the trend in setup flaws? So using a tool that was designed for a different machine and modified to fit. Sort of like, sort of like using a drug off-label, but they're doing that with tools. Sure. Correct. You know, I, I understand it. And sometimes it's just what was on hand and it has gotten less frequent as, as tooling technology has come quite a ways in the, in the past four or five years alone. Um, catalogs of tools that are designed for the Swiss machines have gotten more vast, if you will. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, even parts that we've made in the past have become easier to make because the machine adaptation has become easier to get. Um, Sandvik, for one, has been great with their tool catalog. Interesting. It's just very, very thorough. Uh, it's not very advertised. Is is probably kind of the downfall. But then there's also um, Iskar. They have come quite a ways with their tooling as well. Their Pinnacut tools are fabulous. If anybody's listening, go get one. <laughs> Okay. Uh, their parting tool is just amazing. Is it better for people to buy the more expensive tools that are going to last longer than... That's never true with taps. <laughs> I, I've had 99 cent taps get the job done when the you know big expensive ones couldn't. But uh, no, I mean, just finding the right tool, taking the time to, to really say, does this fit the machine properly? Um, is this the best way I can do it? How, how much of that is an education and experience thing? And how much of it is that people just aren't taking the time to think it out? Well, you know, I'd say 50-50, right? It, you know, if you if you break it down like that, it's probably about 50-50 of the total that category failures. Mm-hmm. And I've, I do a lot of programming and have had situations to where there's, you know, you, remote programming, it has to be com- good communication uh, to make sure that that tool is the same tool in the cam file. Um, but literally had file after file, you know, revision with client and we couldn't get it figured out. And I said, well, we have to look back at, at the human error, you know, everything from the turret to the cut is all human. 
Do you think that people are, one of the main problems is that people are just rushing and careless? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be so brash about just say careless. It's just slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And I think more people need to, to know that mm-hmm. and to slow down and, and, and really understand that everything matters. You know, the little bitty screw is doing a pretty daunting task for that little tiny insert screw. Um, that little bitty sleeve, you know, its workload is ginormous because it's just a little guy, right? And yeah, it's so many times that it's just one little screw. It's amazing when you figure it's a $400,000 machine or even a $10,000 machine, but just doing those things, it's, it's amazing how that makes or breaks it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And check your sleeves. They're always suspect, you know. (laughs) An FYI to our thousands of listeners out there. We're always looking for new show sponsors, new ideas for episodes, and feedback. Obviously, positive feedback is nice. But if you have some constructive criticism, it's also really good. Feel free to send emails to the contact info on todaysmachiningworld.com. If they're interesting, maybe I'll read some on the air. Let's shift a little bit to back to um, Mad Science and or Texas Swiss. Your market right now is mainly oil, gas, and um, and gun parts. Oil and gas is in the toilet, so most of your business is gun parts right now. Yeah, well, we still do a lot of sour gas stuff. It still occupies several machines. Okay. We have some good clients that were already down some of the green path. And, you know, I we'll see how everything goes. But we try to maintain some pretty diverse business categories. Um, hmm. You know, those are just the two big ones. We do some actual, I guess you would call them extracurricular uh, or some ATV components. There's a mixture of things that we do. Camera mount components. There's, I guess oh, you could say there's a lot of different, yeah, there's a lot of different categories of work that we do to make up the mix, right? Are medical parts, do they have, uh, are they similar in some ways to gun parts, ironically? The size of them and, and the type of features, yes. I would say that That's as crazy. the firearms market gets more advanced and people want more fancy shapes on their stuff, you know, it's just you look at what you're doing. You're doing 3D servicing on a machine that was designed to make a watch part or a bone screw for, you know, simple. Now going to make a firearms component. So while you're at it, use it like you would on any other thing. And the next thing you know, you've got this crazy firearms component and it happens quite a bit. Interesting. Is it difficult to get medical work? Um, I'd say it's not so difficult. You know, we've done a hundred percent of our networking by word of mouth and, you know, really have, so you don't have you, no, no, no salespeople calling around Correct. saying, yeah, we have no salespeople. 
zero salespeople. So people just find you on the web and say, see, oh, they make X or social media or... Social media would have to be our our only real marketing venue. And and I'm not big on the camera, which is ironic that, you know, I'm doing this. I, I just, I try to stay working amongst my team, right? And and that keeps me happy or monk, uh, work, working to help someone else's team. So I've never been one, one that has wanted to go and do marketing right, or advertising. I know it is advantageous though. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think a lot of people might find it interesting. Social media, what does a machining company do on social media to get customers? Instagram, Reddit, yeah, typically we'll show a clip of a fun cut or a, a fancy machine move or a maintenance blooper. Um, a maintenance blooper. Yeah, something that, you know, oh, something broke, right? So, because um, it happens, right? And you'll show that on on Instagram or Facebook or Reddit. On and- Instagram or Facebook, correct. And that gets people's attention just because they saw a mishap. Sure. And, you know, what normally happens behind closed doors or whatever, you know, something that somebody doesn't want to see. Well, here's what happens if you avoid that. You know, if you don't clean this out, this happens. Or if you don't tighten this, you turn this on, that happens. I see. So you're you're demonstrating to people that you know how to troubleshoot and you know, you know what not to do. Because you've seen sure, it. Sure, yeah. They, they should know ahead of time. You know, I try to voice that to every maintenance department that I come in to help out or every customer that has a catastrophic failure, what to look for. What's the most challenging thing you deal with with your own shop um, as far as making good parts, running the business, um, et cetera? What, what's what's the, the biggest hurdle that you're fighting or that you've overcome? Well, COVID-19 was pretty odd, different, um, coming along out of nowhere. But I, and I was, you know, I had a lot of projects going on. So that was different. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of things that were political in the past five years. And I I don't, I'm not big on politics. Um, I would just say that they've been, had these waves that affected other industries that just had these weird spikes in manufacturing. Um, or yeah. the frequency spikes up and down peaks and valleys. And, sure. Um, thank the Lord for diversity because, you know, applications, people still need support. And I was plenty busy and helping keep other people busy that had gone into a system that worked for them. Also had to help clients that were dealing with, you know, COVID-19 having to still keep engineering processes going in the background um, with minimal staff of, you know, two to five people when they normally have 50. So that was fun too, but you know, it worked and it's still working in some cases. I'd say at my shop though, um, for Texas Swiss factory side of things, it was like still dealing with the people variable, mm-hmm. if you will. Finding good people. Yeah. Finding good people is is one thing that you you want to invest time into people, and so you want to pick the right people to invest the time in. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of amazing how many people will you know 
will squander an opportunity or just think it's a job. Um, and I don't ever want anybody that just thinks it's a job to think that they have to be there for any reason because they don't. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely difficult to find somebody that's not only good, but, you know, has some skin in the game and treats it like it's an important thing to them. And it's not just a paycheck. It's hard to find that. Well, and recently I had a simple conversation and I try to come up with fun analogies. I, I told the guys, I said, look, you know, you don't have to be best in the world. You just have to be superheroes. But you don't have to be Superman. You just have to be a firefighter. And, you know, they're both superheroes, but just hmm. you're still human. And I get it. You know, we all make mistakes. And um, try, just trying to get people to slow down and think about every little move. It's not a race, right? These machines are so fast. You don't have to rush through anything. If you take your time, like we were talking about earlier, you take your time and set everything up right and you think it through, the machine actually tends to run for longer periods of time, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is, I see that as a big takeaway from this conversation. It's just slower and often that leads to faster in the long run. Sure. Slow and steady wins the race. I mean, it is. It is a coin phrase for good reason, I'd say. Sure, sure. Just a couple more questions. Uh, what is something that you learned last week or in the last week? What is something that I learned in the last week? Something really interesting, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've learned a few interesting things in the last week. What do we want to talk about? Um, I'll give you, you can give me your top two if you want. Well, one funny thing that I learned this week is that Apple CarPlay does not work with any other type of automotive interface. And so you, you, you lose those functions when you try to plug your phone in. <laughs> Machine related? Oh, man. Let's see. Because I can't even talk about some of the things that I learned because of confidentiality. Uh -huh. And that really, that really puts a, a, a damper on this one. I'm going to go back a little bit further. Oh, back to the Pinnacut. This is one that everybody's going to like. So the heavier that you feed it, it scares some of the guys because it's pretty aggressive feed rate. But it actually what, what, parts off. The Pentacut? The Pentacut, the Escar Pentacut parting tool. Okay. You got to feed it really heavy and it will turn the chips into a tiny square every time. And uh, a lot of guys are a little, when they see the feed rate, they, they didn't want to do it. And uh, it's wonderful. Little bitty squares. And the squares are great because they're, they don't gum up. They don't, they don't gum up everything. Yeah, nothing wraps around the part. It's absolutely wonderful. It's one of those simple things that I think a lot of the people can benefit from if they want to put that tool in the machine. you have anything else you'd like to say to the people of the world? Well, keep your machine clean. The simple things in life, you know, that help out. Awesome. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to tell your friends. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch videos of extended interviews. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is William Steffi. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. 